This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Star Command. Earth, polluted, overcrowded, and poor, has found salvation in the untapped wealth of space. Colonies have been founded on distant planets, and a land rush, unequaled since the days of American Western expansion has begun. But there are people who want to close the door behind them. One colony, Cenosaur, has declared its independence, launched a fleet, and is seizing every habitable world. Earth has discovered and claimed a paradise world, Moraz. The Cenosaurians, disputing the Earth's claim, have sent ambassadors to negotiate the status of Moraz. All parties to the dispute know that if negotiations fail, war is certain. A thin line of defense, formed by the Earth's star core, stretches across the vastness of space. This is the story of one ship, and the men and women who serve aboard it. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast watching the debris left in the wake of Star Trek's success. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? That's pretty good. That's actually what should have been under the title, Debris of Other Sci-Fi Shows. <laughs> well, this week, we're watching the failed pilot television film, Star Command. Yeah. Otherwise known as In the Fold. <laughs> I, I like I like that I saw that, too. They already had the pilot title ready. Like, guys, don't worry. This thing's going. So it's Star Command, but we have the title of the episode. And then I, I saw it listed as In the Fold more often than... Uh, than Star Command. Is In the Fold refer to how they warp drive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They enter the fold, so I think In the Fold was the idea there. Yeah, exciting, huh? It's not a very evocative title, I won't lie. <laughs> I can see why people refer to it as Star Command, mostly. It could be also a show about people who just like sleeping in bed all day. <laughs> well, and I don't know if you, you probably won't know this, Jordan. Maybe you will. I don't know. But uh, this was actually suggested to us by our old friend on Twitter, at C. Chupik. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he. I think at some point he sent me a message. Was like, "Have you heard of this?" And I was just like, uh, "Nope." I know I picked it, and I think my record right now for things that I suggested we watch, I'm batting a thousand for terrible. I just assumed that's what you're going for. <laughs> no, I'm just like, oh, that would be that would be something. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this one aired on UPN in 1996, and did you have any any knowledge of this? Not at all, because this is right in that. Uh, is this like Voyager time? That's my understanding, and that would be on UPN too, I believe. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy to see, and I, mean, I guess Star Trek is more of a prestige show, so it probably got a lot more production value. But it's just funny to see just the wide variation between these two shows. My assumption is they were going for a sort of like sexy twenty-somethings in space, but they also don't lean into that at all. Yeah, and if you think about it too, this probably would have been around the time UPN was commissioning that uh, Warlord Battle for the Galaxy. Oh, is that right? Was that also on the same station? Yeah, that was a UPN show too, if I'm not mistaken. So UPN was really trying, I think, maybe to become this science fiction hub for a brief period, which clearly never quite clicked for them. Or there was just one nerd who was uh, uh, commissioning shows. He's like, another sci-fi, another sci-fi. And they're like, oh, old Derek's at it again. Well, and I can't be sure, but 
I have some recollection. I never looked into this, but I feel like Buffy or Angel, like one of those things in that verse ended up on UPN at some point too. I'm not sure. I think the Paramount Network maybe at some point fancied themselves as going to be this destination. If you're hanging your hat on this show, it is not going to work. You didn't know about anything about this show, right? I'd never heard of it. No, I never heard of it. And it is kind of like a militaristic Star Trek variant? Kind of. Like, it's definitely got a Federation-style thing, but they're, there's, they're fighting a offshoot of some rebel colonies. It felt a little like either, a little like Space Rangers in some ways, I guess. Yeah, it's like a mix of Space Rangers mixed with, what was the other one where the teens are in space? Uh, Space Above and Beyond. Space Above and Beyond. It's sort of a mix of those. And I know that's a weird way to say because you get something in the middle of that Venn diagram that is its own beast. Yeah, it's got a lot of Star Trek owage to it, for sure. Um, it was interestingly, though, uh, the writer of the of the movie, uh, Melinda Snodgrass. Oh, I laughed because she has the worst last name. Sorry for any Snodgrasses out there listening, but that's a bad last name. You don't like that last name? No. <laughs> Snodgrass? You can't get any respect with the name Snodgrass. Well, she was she was a story editor on uh, TNG for the second and third season, which uh, probably explains why she's here. Those aren't the best seasons. Well, season three's okay. Yeah, two and three. That's when it started getting its feet under it. And like, uh, I was sort of looking to see kind of where she comes from. And she's a bit of a science fiction author as well. I think that's what she was. And then she got into sort of TV writing and um, story editing and such. And uh, some of the stuff she's written, actually, she's written for that George R. R. Martin series, Wild Cards, which is also kind of a um, space-themed battle show, uh, is my understanding. So hmm. very much in this vein as well. Hmm. So she's had a couple kicks at the bucket. Oh, I think she's a successful science fiction author. Okay. <laughs> I just, you wouldn't be able to tell from this show, let's be honest. Well, no, I mean, I think this show definitely isn't there, but it's kind of interesting. Like, she comes from this world where she clearly has a lot of experience. This right. show is maybe not the best example, but it's interesting how many shows we've watched that were written by women have been probably nil. You know what? You're probably right. I, I was trying to think back, and I was like, this is an outlier. I can't think of many shows we've watched that have female writers on them there's been a couple like obviously earth 2 had a few but very few so it was interesting to watch a tv movie i'm like oh interesting to see this flipped but it's odd because it also like falls into all the same tropes you expect from from this genre also um their uniforms are they're like what like navy but with skirts yeah i mean this is very much original star trek uh, if yeah. you're a woman you're in a dress yeah yeah which is very funny in 1996 because this is after TNG where they briefly tried to put uh, the unisex dresses into the uniforms. That's right. Yeah. And I don't think anyone was into it. Well, they knew that it was a bad idea to have only <laughs> women in, uni- in dress uniforms. Not this show, though. Yeah. At any rate, uh, released March 11th, 1996. Not a lot to speak of for my Wikipedia research around that date. But Jordan, interestingly enough, on at the same time as one series we've watched before. Um, you mentioned it already. Oh, Space Above Beyond? Yeah, this is happening in the middle of Space Above Beyond. Oh, I was going to say, though, I think we mentioned that it was similar to Space Above Beyond, but I think actually it's more like, what was the other show where the, the kids are in space and lost their commander? Oh, Earth Star Voyager certainly borrows the plot of yeah. that and or J.J. Abrams' Star Trek one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's very much that, like, kids go to space and get command of a ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have to say, of uh, Space Above Beyond and this... It's one of those weird things where if these are airing at the same time, in some ways, there's marks of the time, but 
in other ways, they look like they were decades apart in the storytelling, in the uh, production special value. effects. Yeah, the production value. They just look, and I, and I know this is not very nice, but like the acting. Yeah, well, it is funny. You mentioned that. As I was watching it too, I'm just like, oh, the more and more I watch, I'm like, oh, this is just discount Space Bum Beyond. And then to find out they happened at the same time, I'm like, oh, wow, this really is just like, how can we make this other show, but for $200? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Though at the time, I'm sure it was very expensive. Well, well, we should say there's a lot of computer-generated effects in this. They just haven't aged very well, and I don't know how well they, how good they looked at the time. Well, it's funny because if we go back and look at, think about Space Bomb Beyond, you know, there was some early computer-generated effects in that, but they either use them less or they use them to better effect because watching this show, I felt like you could see these graphics today, but in a fan film on YouTube. Like, this right. is what someone could make in their basement in, like, six hours. Yeah, I agree. At the time, I'm sure it was quite difficult, but it's just very funny watching it now. I'm just like, oh, this is what the level of computer animation you might expect to see on children's television right now. And I think this is where they spent a lot of their money, because there's a lot of ship sort of battles and flying scenes and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, Hey, I think... they made a swing, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah they definitely did. <laughs> I, I can't fault them for at least trying something it just doesn't it none like all of it kind of melds together into like not not working i guess right but well right. i guess we'll get into it as we talk about the show well shall we do it shall we get into the details here is the imdb summary for star command slash in the fold a crew of freshly graduated space navy cadets find themselves fighting with opponents from breakaway earth colonies after their commanding officers are killed in an attack and that was courtesy of Anon. Anon. I, it just made me think, though, in the fold. Remember Johnny Carson used to do the old thing where he used to uh, get the punchline, and then they would, uh, Ed McMahon would say the joke, and then they'd all laugh? Do you remember that? I, it, it's just me. I'm my... not as old as you, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought in the fold. It'd be like, you know, Johnny would be like, in the fold. And then, and then he'd open up the envelope and be like, where a fat guy lost his ice cream, you know? I don't, but uh, I'm sure that's hilarious to people who know. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I'll go talk to some 60-year-olds and we'll have a good laugh about it. You and this, you guys will be like, oh man, you could have written for that show. <laughs> oh well. Born at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. It all begins with a, a classic world-building monologue over kind of shots of CG future space stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess in this future, what we're le- to learn is Earth is both overpopulated and overpolluted. Uh, and people have started to move off to colonize other planets for their resources. I believe they refer to it as kind of a westward expansion a la North America. I mean, like, how many times have we seen this in shows now, right? It is, seems to be a really quick shorthand to give you the mythology or world building of just, like, where you are. Certainly, I think Earth 2 had a very similar start where just, like, this is what you need to know really quickly so we don't have to, like, find a way to exposition-heavy a dialogue sequence. On both shows, and obviously Earth 2, you know, this is going to not be a surprise, is a much better show than this is. Do you even need that as a viewer? Do you know what I mean? It's just be like, that could have come on later in the series where they explain something, but it's like, they're in space. It's all I need to know. Why do I need to know the details of why they're in space? I think it is probably related to storytelling at the time, because I think it's in this, I think we've saw it in Earthstar Voyager when they start off on Earth. I think we've seen it in quite a few things in this, like, time period. I don't know why. Like, you're right. Like, could you not find a way to build it in? I don't fault it. I think it's a good way just to set me up and be like, all right, great. I know where I am. Let's go. 
Yeah, I just don't know if I care. It's just like, they're in space. Done. Let's move on. Space battle. <laughs> you don't want to know the uh, political intrigue happening no. behind the scenes? No, I don't. <laughs> because what we do learn is that a confederacy of these colonies known as the, uh, um, let me see if I can pronounce this, Sinosaura yeah. emerged on a planet, I guess it's called Sinosaura. And uh, they've opposed Earth, and they're grabbing up all the habitable worlds they can. Um, but unfortunately for them, this this uh, confederacy of colonies, they missed out on one, the best one, the colony world of Miraz. Yeah, Miraz. I guess they're going for a bit of a, like a, some sort of Western trope of this land grab. I don't know if, if it quite works as a setup for this, because you'd never really get a sense of the push and pull from the two sides over this planet, nor do we ever see the planet. Oh, we do briefly at the end. We never go down to it, though. That's true. Um, but yes, there. what's happening, what we're told is happening is the politicians from Earth and this Sinosauran uh, sect <laughs> are uh, they're in a dispute over uh, who has claim to this planet. And Earth already has colonists on it, so they're taking kind of that claim. And Luke, how do you know the difference in this show between the good guys and the bad guys? Well, the good guys wear white, my friend. And what do the bad guys wear? black <laughs> that's it <laughs> it's so funny because they don't only wear those outfits but their personalities are so uh, jazzed up for what they are like the villains are always sneering and have like vaguely european accents because it was shot in germany yeah german co-production so now mm-hmm. you know who the villains are yeah i know <laughs> um and uh, what we're gonna kind of get into is the earth has a i guess this is their navy in space the star core and we're to learn about them that they're kind of spread across the galaxy trying to protect Earth's interests, but it's it's a it's a wild west out there. I think you're right, Jordan. It's a wild west. These rangers on the on the open open road have to defend what Earth is trying to protect. Right. And our TV movie will basically follow a group of fresh ensigns out of the academy on their first assignment on this light Corvette class ship. They never give a name to that ship, do they? No, they just keep saying Corvette seems so strange i'm like this is usually like the core to one of these shows is like that ship has a name but like quark that ship also never got a name it was just so weird to have a ship i'll be on a ship that's such a personality part of the show that just has no name i didn't actually mind that they called it a corvette it was a little odd but then i thought they didn't lean in enough on it i thought have another ship that's called lamborghini or another ship that's a porsche i just thought maybe that's what happens in the future like they maybe it's actually these companies that are that are making these ships now but i thought oh it was just like a now you know it's fast well isn't a corvette a sort of navy ship as well like an actual ship on the sea like i think it's a class of ship oh is it oh that shows how dumb i am i didn't know that yeah, I don't think it was in relation to, uh, there's not a Porsche, there's not a Porsche ship out there. Well, that's what I thought. I thought it was maybe the idea that these companies are now building ships. And I thought that was maybe interesting, but. That's a fun idea, actually. But, you know, like you got an Amazon ship. Got to get all that clearance, though. Never exactly. <laughs> and uh, this ship is going to be commanded by uh, a gentleman named Commander Rittenau and his executive officer, Singrid Evosetter, played by. Oh, yeah. What's her name? uh morgan fairchild morgan fairchild yeah who i thought who, you're gonna be where way more excited about that well no because here's the thing i'm uh, sorry morgan fairchild she's a terrible actress but she's such an icon <laughs> i i suppose it's funny because she is one of those people where you know her and you recognize her face and her name and i was like what have i seen her in and i started going through her biography and all the the different credits she has i'm like i don't know if i've seen any of this stuff and there's hundreds of them 
I mean, I think that's it. I think she was an icon and just appeared in a lot of stuff. And that's yeah. mostly why people are just like, she was synonymous with the time. It just sort of feels like she is a cameo, and she is a cameo, but she also is. a cameo that doesn't add anything to the show. Like, you could have just had, like, a, a robot do the part. Well, I think at the time, it was probably a get. Yeah, maybe you're right. I think when you tuned in... It was going to be a shocker when it turned out she was going to die. You're like, oh, I thought this was going to be like, you know, it's like bringing Drew Barrymore in for a TV role. Like, I think she was like that sort of level of celebrity at the time. But she just does a lot of uh, walking around looking like she can barely remember her lines. Oh, you're really leaning into former Morgan Fairchild. Oh, she's doing fine. (laughs) Um, I don't know. How did you feel about this ship? I thought the sets were, they don't quite work, but they're interesting. Yeah, I actually didn't mind the look of it. There was an, a, kind of an interesting ceiling they have on all the sets. It's almost like a grating. I'm assuming eventually you'll be able to see them come up and down through these sort of see-through ceiling. And it's somewhere half Star Trek, half Star Wars and how it looks. But what I didn't understand was the actual geography and size of this ship. Because when you see them working and you see the far shots of the ship, it seems quite small. But then they have scenes of them running down hallways and through corridors. And I was like, how big is this ship? And then the third point is, there's only eight of them running this ship. So if it's huge, how are they managing that? It's a good question. I was blown away by how large the sets looked. Like, the ship interiors have so much space in them, which is unusual for a show like this. Usually you want, usually your cramped quarters, it's darkly lit. But this was like such big sets. And I think maybe part of the problem is because they're so big, they could do a lot of wide shots. And they just didn't pick great shots to, like, make the ship look good. Maybe because of the TV lighting they were using. But it was just weird. I just kept thinking, I'm like, even the space stations, they're, like, huge malls with, like, yeah. escalators. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen space stations look like this before. That was weird because I'm almost positive they shot that in a mall that they dressed. It's a scene we're coming up soon where we see them. And it's something very off-putting about seeing it. It just felt like such a creative choice, too, because everything is large and expansive and, like, white. It didn't quite work, but I, I was just like, this, there's some sort of choice being made here, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a strange one for sure. Well, can I mention one other thing about the ship? There's a sign that's in the background of, let's call it, like, their ready room. Sort of, not a ready room, but, like, their their Yeah, where, it's where their meeting room is. I also noticed that. There's a sign on the wall, and it looks very similar to the Seinfeld logo, but it just says, what does it say, Surprise? It just says surprise. There's a huge neon sign on the wall of the ready room that says surprise. No one mentions it. There's no explanation as to what this is about. It's just some set deck that someone put on the wall. It's really odd. Yeah, it's a lot of baffling choices at times. Like you mentioned everyone, all the women are in miniskirts for the most part. Though as the show goes on and they start getting into ship life, they seem to finally get pants, the women on the show. But like at some point, Morgan Fairchild's day-to-day costume is a double-slitted evening dress <laughs> slash uniform it's baffling the costume choice yeah and i actually don't think any of the outfits look great on this show but i think you're right i think someone made a decision and they went for it it just says i think they made the wrong decisions i've never seen such elegance in a uh, uniform before <laughs> <laughs> well well and- we did see didn't we see uh the one uh, in space above and beyond didn't we see the commander like in some loungewear while he played a guitar that's true, his pajamas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was off-duty, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but lots of weird choices. And, like, obviously we mentioned kind of the visual effects. I think there's a decent scale to them. Like, the Corvette is a much smaller than the space station, and it's much smaller than the big, like, flagships. 
but that the like there's a sense that everything is like quite large in this world and quite expansive which is interesting you know the effects just are from a time and at a budget range that are inevitably going to look quite hokey today yeah anyway let's let's meet the cast of the show which i describe as a generic off-brand melrose place <laughs> well it's interesting because we're going to go through these but like a good chunk of these actors are still acting and have had long careers but they're like faces you kind of recognize as like the neighbor on a show well it's shot in vancouver i believe so i think we are seeing a lot of that kind of actor of the canadian set that we know that ends up in a lot of these shows and side roles and stuff so certainly um people who have gone on to long careers they're not bad actors by any means but just in this weird yeah like very 90s beverly hills 90210 kind of feeling to the casting Mm -hmm. there's ensign ken ort who i guess is our lead playing generic white male honestly i'm gonna i have a list of their names because they're all so generic and there's no way you're gonna remember their names so i can't remember who's who but i think he's the one whose mom was like a war hero admiral sort of person Mm -hmm. and he's been in the ensigns or he's not been in the ensigns he's been the academy and everyone seems to agree that he should have been washed out already, if not for his famous mom. It's an interesting thing because of what happens later, because you're, you, they're clearly going for this uh, this hero's journey. But there's no explanation why he sucks so bad in school, and then he's so good when the chips are down. Yeah, it's the beginning of the premise of a character, but <laughs> never mm-hmm. delved into any more than that. Yeah, anyways, that's him. Then there's Ensign Ali McGlinty. McGinty? Yes, McGinty. Ali McGinty. Um, she's from Buried, L.A. <laughs> I loved it. They kept mentioning it over and over, and I'm sure we're going to talk about a scene. There is a scene in this that is so horrific and has aged so badly that it's embarrassing for everyone involved. But anyways, uh, yeah, she comes from L.A., and I think almost every sci-fi show, when they mention Earth, it's always how bad L.A. has gone. I don't know if it's like a real like chip on their shoulder against L.A., but it's always like, oh, yeah, Ellie's on fire. Well, I think it's that... 1996 post riots kind of world where everyone assumes LA is going to hell for some reason. Right. Anyways, all we need to know is she's from LA and it was. She's bad. from buried LA. Buried LA. Yeah. Sorry. That's, because that's, that's your your uh, your accent coming in out there. Buried. No, buried LA. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, as I believe uh, old Ensign Ort says, oh, I've been to LA. She's like the platforms, not buried LA. <laughs> What are the prices on the platforms in LA? Oh, very expensive. Very you're expensive. Right by, you're right by the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as you mentioned, there's some pretty dark stuff happening in Buried LA because apparently there are roving gangs. She talks about how her mother had her when she was 14 years old and then died nine years later and that she managed to survive in this like post-apocalyptic LA until she was 16 before she was assaulted by the roving gangs and then we get a scene of her being assaulted yeah that's the scene i'm mentioning and it's just like it's the only flashback you're gonna get the only scene where we really see a person's back history and the one they chose to have is her being assaulted and then implying that a horrible thing has happened it was disturbing and terrible and this character has almost no other moments so that's all we get to know about her well, that's the thing. It's like they were like, well, we want a character who's kind of dark and is disturbed. So why don't we have a horrible thing happen to her? And that's all you need to know. That's her character. She's damaged. Yeah. And that's why she's such a hothead. <laughs> yeah. And she does, but she's not really a hothead. She just pulls a gun one time. Yeah. But also what was weird about that scene too, where she's kind of telling 
she's telling Ensign Ord about her trauma, this like trauma in her in her history. Mm-hmm. But she's also flirting with him at the same time. It's yeah. so disturbed. Yeah. 1996. <laughs> um, and then there's Ensign Tully Vallis, this redheaded buff meathead. Oh, he's, he's, he's more blonde, isn't he? I thought he was a redhead. I don't know who was who. Anyways, he's a real buff, I guess. And uh, he's a billionaire's son. Oh, is he the one who loves going into VR land? Yeah, yeah. He's a billionaire's son who joined the Navy... There's some implication that he did it for later political gain. Sure. Uh, when he, and his dad's not happy about it. And yes, he loves to go into VR pleasure wear. Look, we just talked about Earth 2, which this was a plot point, And we've seen it in so many shows. Clearly in the mid-90s, VR, there was someone who was like, you've got to get it in the show. It's got to be in. It's every single sci-fi show in the 90s has a VR element. It's uh, It was the future. They were sure of it. Everyone just knows what you'll be using it for is some sort of pornography. There's Ensign Meg Dundee, who I guess her character trait is she's the level-headed one. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't learn nothing else about her, I don't think. And she's mostly there just to offer the only person, the only sane advice that anyone's going to give anyone. I suppose. I thought they were going to make her like the action one, but then her fight scene's pretty sad later. Uh, There's Ensign Yukiko Fujisaki, who I think everyone just calls Yuki. Yeah, and they're like, she's Asian. Let's give her the most Asian name we can possibly come up with. And uh, her job is to be engineer and handle almost all of the techno babble the show needs to do. <laughs> There's not that much, but you're right. She's sort of uh, saddled with that. And I think she's the only actress that anyone uh, would recognize out of this show. What is she from? Uh, she's was in she was in a bunch of those action movies at like just after this, wasn't it? What's her name? Kelly Who? I'm not sure. I didn't I didn't write down who the actors there. <laughs> oh, anyways, she was in a bunch of stuff after. She kind of. Had had a moment there, hmm. and then finally, Ensign Philip Jackson, who is also there. <laughs> well, all the guys have a lot of hair. I'll say that it's a huge cast off the top of this show, and I would say for the first twenty minutes, because there's a big graduation scene on the space station, they're like at this party. No one's ever clearly differentiated until they get on the ship. So it's a good twenty to thirty minutes before you can even tell these characters apart in any real way. I don't know about you, but there was some odd pacing issues on that because you're right. It takes about 30 minutes to get going, which is nothing necessarily wrong about that. But the time is not spent to develop these characters or really learn much. You just get a lot of scenes of them talking and then they go and sit into another scene and they talk. But it doesn't progress the plot. It doesn't build the characters. And it just seems in the end like we've wasted some valuable time we could have had doing anything. Well, no, I, I would say the first 30 minutes are all world-building stuff. You're coming to learn what the plot's going to be, what's happening in this world, who yeah, the but bad like, guys are. But do you think it takes 30 minutes to build this world? They're getting a lamb grab. That's it. It's one scene. But, I mean, that's what they're spending the time on. It's true. But I just think, it, again, it's just like, but it's not needed. It's just time-wasting. I guess. I didn't. I, honestly, that first 30 minutes was the best 30 minutes of the show for me. So. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh. Because it just gets pretty bad after that. Um, it was just interesting, I thought, because it's a huge cast, and it's just strange to avoid introducing them because we meet like we have scenes with them but it's never clear who anyone is or what their relationships are to each other i couldn't tell ensign tully and vallis and ensign philip jackson apart for probably an hour of the movie yeah they're just like generic white guys even though one's redheaded and one's brunette i couldn't figure out who was who <laughs> well and it's funny because they also you know I, I i made fun of the actors how bad they are they really have very little to work with because there isn't any scenes for them to develop anything so you have scenes of 
where they might be arguing or they might be getting along. But I was like, oh, do these people not like each other? Do they? What was the what was the reason for this argument? Yeah, it's it's tough to tell them apart. So it's tough to understand what's even what the fights are about. Yeah. Um, but we missed one in character who we definitely need to talk about. Artie is the robotic butler. Yeah. Did you love Artie? Uh, uh, yeah, he was great. What does Artie stand for? I have no idea. You didn't write this down? Nope. <laughs> it stands for Artificial Repair Technical Intelligence Educating System. What I liked about him, though, is he was a practical effect. He's Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Yeah, it's good because he can move a little bit. And they kind of use him in the what they can, but his, his mobility is only is is pretty limited. But I still think it, it is aged better than the CGI on the ships. No, it works great. It's like I mean, it is just the design to the robot from Short Circuit. So yeah, it's on treads. It's got those robotic arms that move around, and then it's got that very expressive face because the eyes are very movable. It's got mm-hmm. a little electronic mouth that moves. It, it's incredibly expressive, which makes these robots work really well. I think. And is the best part of the show. But there's an interesting thing about this, and we won't delve too deep into it, but he clearly has a personality and feelings and thoughts. And so for all intents and purposes, he's a sentient being, and they treat him terribly in this. There's not one scene where they don't insult him or tell him he's like a piece of crap. And it just seems so odd for something that is clearly not just a, you know, you're not just yelling at a computer. This is a living being for all intents and purposes. It is certainly an AI. It would be like yelling at your Siri, but a Siri that's far more uh, articulate. And I also noticed that. I just And it wasn't clear why they hated him. I didn't understand. Yeah, because it's not like he's messing up or he's taking a job, which I think we saw in one other show where people were angry at the robot because they thought he was going to take their job. I think it was Space Rangers. But he's just there doing stuff. At one point, he's just cleaning, and they're like, you jerk. And I was like, you don't do anything. Well, like he is basically... A catch-all like he he literally we see him with a rag in his robotic hand scrubbing a wall but he's also responsible for the medical bay so he does medical treatment on them twice in the show yeah. and i think one of those times he finishes like suturing someone up and they yell at him and say get out of here rivet head i'm like he just he just did surgery on you yeah i wish i'd written down all the insults they call him none of them are very good i think one point they call him like like tape boy or something i was like what it was very straight i couldn't quite wrap my head around why he was such a second class citizen because i mean sure he's just basically a robotic butler but like he's pretty helpful and not too obtrusive also not to get too uh deep into it but you could just have a bunch of these robots running the ship he's more more effective than any of these uh these 20 somethings yeah well let's kind of get on with it like you know as i said it all starts off at this space station space mall and we watch them graduate. We get to learn about the political intrigue. We get to figure out what's happening, that the Censurians uh, are uh, plotting some sort of attack on Merez to attempt to take it away from Earth. And this could escalate into a war. This is kind of all the setup of the plot for the episode. Um, but eventually the crew finally gets on an assignment to join the Seventh Fleet off in some some end of the universe. And they uh, get to climb into the ship and use the biggest part of the show, the uh, Keem Drive? Mm-hmm. Which, I'll, I'll go through all the technical babble here of the Keem Drive does. It folds the 27 dimensions of space and time <laughs> to create a hole through null space, which it can travel, known as the fold. Um, and they do this because it will, quote, sidestep the Einsteinian prohibition on light speed. Yeah, I just love that all these things. It's like Star Trek came out with warp drive for, uh, uh, and then Star Wars had light speed. Is that what they call it in Star Wars? Yes. 
So you have these, you know, we have to be able to quickly let people know that we can travel fast. You don't have to spend 20 years in space like some shows like Alien or something does. But I just love that they have to always come up with something. And it's just, it's just as hard to do and to not have it just come off as kind of clumsy. And this, it's like, it's okay. I mean, it works, I guess. It's just funny. They just give you this whole setup. Like someone says all these lines of dialogue so you can know how they're going to do this thing. And then you finally see it in like a little laser, a little like... I don't know, Captain Planet laser or uh, Zap Brannigan laser comes out of the bottom of a ship, shoots a little beam, and a little hole opens up, and like they just travel through a wormhole. I don't know if I... You probably like this stuff more than me, but I was like, to show the effect, I don't need to hear about folding space. I don't really care. I like to hear about it. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I don't know if it is fun. <laughs> anyway, you know what's fun? Actually doing something as opposed to just talking about it. That's maybe fun. Well, I mean, the rest of the movie wasn't fun, so doing the thing wasn't any better. <laughs> Well, no, because it was just, they just talked. They just never shut up in this movie. <laughs> There's all that happens from this point on is action. <laughs> I don't know if I agree. Well, what we kind of see is, because what we learn at one of these uh, exposition drops is you can't fold radio waves. So to get messages <laughs> across the universe in this world, there are mail ships flying around delivering messages for the fleet. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, which, by the way, my preferred show. I'd rather watch the mail ships flying around. Well, you know, you, but you wouldn't, though, because it would just be Quark. I mean, I loved I loved that idea of Quark. I just didn't like the execution. Wow, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but what we get to see is kind of the kickoff to this episode is one of these male ships gets attacked by a squadron of uh, Sinosaurian uh, flagships, and uh, we get a little laser fight. Uh, they chop off the head of the of the male ship, capture one of the crew members, and start torturing him to try to figure out where uh, not where Mariz Mariz is these this uh, beautiful planet, but like what its defenses are, I guess. And what do you think of the the torture technique? It's the most boring VR I've ever seen in my yeah, life. Yeah, so they basically get the guy and they're like, "Tell us what you know," and he's like, "Never." And they and they say, "Well, what if we put a VR on you and we." vr torture you maybe with like hot pokers but it's not really it's just it's the whole vr thing it's just a black box like he's just in a black room and then someone the person who's torturing him in reality is just standing next to him swinging a swinging a hot poker at him i don't know it was nothing and nothing really comes from this anyways yeah they don't get any information he dies and we get three or four scenes with this character (laughs) yeah it's just it was just like okay i thought maybe it was gonna pay off later on or he was we were going to learn who he was but no no while this is happening our true our crew is traveling through the fold and we kind of get to see them doing training drills in their pajamas and there's (laughs) testosterone fueled fist fights as the characters battle each other for i don't know whoever's the alpha male on the ship but we don't know because we haven't learned anything about them or don't know who they are or can tell them apart so it's like who am i rooting for in this fight we get to see valis using his uh pleasure net where he the thing he wants to do in the pleasure net is he's Fabio. He's dressed like he's in a romance novel and he goes into a candlelit room where a woman is in a bathtub. But I should mention they go, he goes back to this several times. Apparently in TV shows, the sexiest thing is to watch someone get changed behind a screen. There's nothing sexier. There's the nothing tease. sexier. That's it. Put on that garter. But yeah, like we see quite a few scenes where he goes there. And the big gag of this is like, not only does he like to use pleasure wear, but anytime anyone needs to get him out of pleasure wear, his commander will just like, there'll be a sexy woman in a bathtub and, he, and she'll morph into his commander sitting in a bathtub being like, time to leave your pleasure wear. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the captain, for whatever reason, needs to kind of be a pervert voyeur and watch his crew at all times. Not only just watch what they're doing, but then go into their like private computer time. 
and uh, take the take the form of their sexual fantasy. <laughs> yeah, should we mention that the woman that he's having the fantasy about is another captain's wife? We'll find out. Okay, you have to. Th- this is a line that gets said right at the like. It's the last line almost of the movie where someone says, "Better not let him find out that you're." woman in your pleasure wears the captain's wife i just didn't like i was just like that's what was happening this whole movie i have a feeling it was a bit of a a script rewrite of at one point i think she was more of a character and it had something to do with him and developing his character but it's not still in there so you just have a thing where you're like oh yeah that woman he's fantasizing about there she's there any result of that nope I, uh, man, I missed, they threw that line out at the end. And I couldn't make heads or tails of it because I didn't know who they were referring to, what captain's wife. I just didn't Well, it's understand. because it's, it's funny because we didn't see her ever before, nor did we meet the captain until the very end. So it was just like, yeah, isn't that funny that the woman he's fantasizing about is real? There she is. Anyway. Well, I don't know. Because they said that too. And I'm just like, uh, well, okay. So this captain's wife makes pleasure wear VR things. Like he knows that. Like what? I don't understand. <laughs> there's no point it's just like isn't it hilarious anyway they arrive at the uh seventh fleet flagship the trafalgar and uh get to board this ship to meet the the crew there who i like the crew on this ship because their uniform is suspenders (laughs) i want to be part of that team everyone is just like wearing uh pants with real big suspenders on them you got to keep them up um and the the fleet commander's office is a big old aquarium he just like sort of is in the middle of a big old aquarium yeah that was weird right lots of water lots of fish it was it was uh, quite the set textures and it was also extremely large like every set in this thing is just an extremely large room you're right i don't know if i even noticed till you mention it but you're right everything is so expansive and they'll do these long shots like i think they have a scene i don't know if it's here or later on where they're all standing in front of the desk and it's like they're in a stadium. It's just so interesting. It's such a choice. And I like this, the idea of it, but it just never is shot well or like executed correctly. But I was just like baffled by it. I'm like, in this world, they've just built everything so large so that everyone can have a lot of space. And I'm just like, okay. And can we mention really quick, I, I know you're going to mention it later, but just so I don't forget, the way they fly the ships is amazing. Yeah. Was that flying or was that the, I think that was the battle rooms. Well, they have the way they um, navigate the ship is they have a joystick in their left hand Mm -hmm. and their right hand goes into what looks like a like somewhat see-through silicone glove. Yes. I think the glove is attached to the armrest. And so you have this weird, it looks like they grabbed whatever was left around sitting around. It's the weirdest looking way to fly a ship. Yeah. You're sitting in basically two big captain's chairs. Like two gamers' chairs with yeah. <laughs> reclining ability. You have a joystick in one hand, this silicon glove in the other, which I guess interfaces with the computer. And you're in this crazy room that looks like it's made up of, uh, I don't know, it's like a sound room or something, a sound booth. Like it's all weirdly like blocked in. No, no other mm-hmm. room in the ship looks like it. But anyways, that's how you fly a ship. You need that weird glove. It's interesting. I thought they were just, uh, in, I thought that was just the battle room i thought they just controlled the guns from that room but you're right maybe they're also flying the ship in that room i'm not sure either way it was just it as we've said just an odd odd choice yes um at any rate let's get back to it they're assigned a mission to go find that missing mail ship they uh jump in the fold pop out where the ship went missing and they're immediately ambushed by this squadron that was there get like an extensive space battle that goes on for quite some time and this mm-hmm. is where morgan fairchild and the commander are finally killed and he's killed pretty brutally 
Yeah, he's impaled on <laughs> debris in the ship. What I like, though, is, like, you don't actually see it on camera, but one of the other, I don't know, faceless people run down, and they're like, oh, no, the captain's dead. You see, like, a spike right through him, and they just go, huh, and he just takes his, like, necklace and then leaves. <laughs> it was so cold. Well, Morgan Fairchild's death, too, was very funny. She, like, leaves the room with the people in the chairs to say, I'm going to go sit in the other chair room we have, apparently, and then you'll get a shot of, like, some little part of the ship being, like, sheared off, and they're yeah. like, Oh, she was on there. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess she's gone? <laughs> but yes, this is way basically Ort, the, our, our hero takes command in that sort of classic classic form in these shows where the kids become the... <laughs> get get to run the ship, I guess. That's the big setup. It's taken, what, maybe 45 minutes at this point? Yeah, and to basically escape this squadron who's attacking them, they basically fake a crash landing on a nearby moon into this, like, snowbank... And then shoot one of their missiles to cause a big explosion. And the squadron's like, oh, well, I guess they're dead. Let's continue on to Miraz to take over this colony. Yeah, the bad guys are not very detail-oriented, huh? No, they, they give up very quickly. They're like, yeah. we better go check that. They're like, oh, I saw an explosion. Never mind. We're good. Yeah, maybe it's just that their schedule was so tight. They're like, we could go down, but we're going to get charged over time if we, if we don't get there. We then now enter basically a repair sequence where they spend like 20 minutes trying to get the ship back up and running. And this is kind of where we finally get to meet more of the personalities of this crew so it it takes a little while to get here but this is kind of where we sort of learn who the characters are basically and they say something at this point and you see it a lot in sci-fi television they ask one of the characters how long is it gonna take for things to be up and she's like the ship will be back online in 12 hours and my thought was but you're not doing anything right now is the idea the ship is going to repair itself or you need 12 hours because you always hear that stuff it's like things will be back i'm like the battery what are we talking about well, from what I can tell, what they were talking about is uh, old Artis is going to go fix the whole ship. <laughs> yeah, I guess. That that jerk who does all the work. Because we do see him with a little laser gun and he's just like fixing things in like the engine room. Even though two people leave the ship with him in spacesuits to essentially help him fix the engine, I guess. Mm-hmm. But like they don't seem to do anything. It's just him with a laser poke and stuff. I thought he was just melting snow. Well, I also like... We clearly show these two these two crew members get into these big spacesuits and climb down this like ladder to get to this underbelly of the ship. But then there's no way Artis could have used that ladder, but he's just also out there. And I'm just like, all right, it's fine. But clearly this wasn't thought through. Yeah. The, the important is, things, maybe they carried him. You don't know. But I saw them. We'll use the, I saw them not carry him. That's true. Anyway, yeah, it's them fixing the ship. There's a quick funeral for the captain where they like, what do they do? They like vaporize him. Yeah, yeah, they use, uh, uh, what was it called? They use, like, a baryon sweep to, to kill him. The uh, the two generic ensigns, uh, Valis, who loves pleasure wear, and Jackson, who gets no character whatsoever, start talking about mutiny, but really only Jackson's into it, and Valis is like, why don't we just wait and see how Ort does as our new captain? The turn happens really fast. He's basically like, well, that was bad. I'm now a villain, and I don't care about any of you for some reason. Yeah, and it's weird because Valus is set up as the guy who doesn't like Ort. Like, him and it's him and Valus and Ort who have a fist fight midway through to see who is, like, who is the biggest man on the ship. It's just odd because he's felt he's set up like he's Ort's nemesis, but they clearly want him to be a regular character. So they now have a secondary character who's just like, I also want to mutiny, I guess. So what we get really quick here is they're trying to fix the ship, and he goes to essentially it's sabotaging in some way, but is it. What, I didn't understand what he was trying to do. He was trying to launch the ship? No, because, as I mentioned, uh, there in, there's two people, Ort and, I believe, uh, Fuki, are out on the in the engine basically trying to fix it with Artis. And this guy's idea is he'll just, like, 
fire up the engine and incinerate them, then the captain's dead and he can just take over the ship. Right. But what I liked is how long it took to get the launch sequence going, but how quick it was to turn it off. <laughs> well, it takes a while to go because he like he has to break into the room. He has to choke out one of the characters. The other character has to get in a big fist fight with him. And then they finally shut down the sequence. There's like a big mutiny sequence, basically, where everyone tries to stop him from murdering Ort. And they do eventually stop him. But I just love how incredibly villainous he is in this. It's like, we've never seen it before. And now he's like literally trying to incinerate and murder and kill everyone. But yes, they they eventually stop him. And then we get, I don't know, another 20 minutes of them deciding what to do with him. They hold a tribunal according to regulations uh, whether about whether he should be executed for mutiny. And there truly is a montage of every character giving testimony about a scene we've just watched. Yeah, and they and they do it with, like, dissolves. So it's just like, I didn't like him. He tried killing me. I don't like his hair. I also like that Jackson has literally no regrets for it. He's just like, yeah, do it again. Yeah, I know. I know. He's just like, screw you guys. That's right. Yeah, I tried killing you. They have a little vote. It's unanimous that he's guilty and should be executed. Um, and we get it. And when when they go down to like shoot him, I guess in his in his bunk, they open the door and he's already hung himself. <laughs> I don't know why. And this it's not funny, but the the way the shot was done was the funniest part of the episode. I laughed and laughed. There was just something they were walking, and what the whole scene is is the guy who's technically their captain now has a gun and he has to shoot him, and the other woman is walking with tea i don't know what she had she's got like a shot it's like one liquor shot his final shot before he does right and so they're walking and then they open the door and the guy's kind of swinging there and i don't know why but it was just the way the shot was um uh set up made me laugh it's the reveal of it is very funny because there's like a lot he's like let me unlock this door and the door swings open and you just see like a body swinging from the rafters and it cuts to reaction shot and they're both like oh and then he just closes the door on <laughs> Like, they both just look with their jaws open and close the door as if they didn't want to see it. They're like, yeah. oh, let's pretend we didn't see that. Yeah. Anyways, he's dead. <laughs> um, repairs are done. They finally launch, and now they're like, hey, we better, like, plan an attack to stop that squadron from killing everyone on Marazzo and taking the colony. And we basically get three different sequences of planned attacks. So there's plan one. They tow a bunch of asteroids in their wake of their ship and just toss them at the squadrons and, like, kill one ship. <laughs> It works pretty well. Like, what they're doing works pretty well. And obviously the scenes that we're going to see, this and the next ones, are that they're young and inexperienced, but they think outside the box, and maybe they have what it takes to be a a tight, impressive team. But they do the first thing with the rocks, the asteroids, and it worked. And then they're like, we need to come up with something else. I was like, we'll try the asteroids again. That was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's it. The plan one works, and they're like, well, let's not go back to it. They hide in a comet's tail, which allows them to get the drop on the ships and they managed to destroy two then and it's very funny because the other t- the other squadrons just like basically cannot figure out what's happening to them they're like our ships keep getting exploded by some weird other ship yeah it's because they're young and they think outside the box luke no one's ever seen impressive attacks like this before and then the p- plan three comes to them courtesy of pleasure where where <laughs> valis is like i don't know what else we're gonna do i'm gonna go like hang out in my pleasure where until someone else comes with a plan and then Fujisaki's like, I also love pleasure wear. Can we go together? And he's like, hell yeah. But before they go in, he's just like, oh, this gives me an idea. What if we just projected holograms of ships and confuse them? Which I know is, as you think, that's the dumbest sounding plot ever. And Luke, I don't know if we've ever talked about it. That's the, the Picard. That's the great thing. He does the same thing. He projects a bunch of ships and fools the Romulans. And I was like, that's one. 
how dumb this is and two, how bad Picard was. <laughs> I liked the way they project ships in the show is a little red, green, blue projector comes out. It's got three yeah, yeah. Like, lights <laughs> and then just like shoots. And then like what you see is like three different color ships like come into focus and now they look like a ship. What would have been better is they did it because they know that the bad guys always wear those red, green glasses all the time. And they just used it against them, you know. Oh, they always wear, <laughs> they always wear those. Uh, whatever you call it. What were those things called? Remember when you were a kid? Three D glasses. Yeah, yeah, three D glasses. Um, but yeah, and this allows them to shoot one more ship, and now there's just one ship left in the squadron. Though I did like this part because they went to the rings of a planet like this. They they kept trying to use cool space shots, at least, mm-hmm. you know, to the best of their uh, visual effects budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At any rate, so now there's only one ship left in the squadron. It's headed to Miraz, and they've got to fit it. They've got to take it on in orbit around this planet. And I like they show up, and there's like an orbital defense platform around the planet, and they call the uh, commander of that up, and he tells him he's like, "Oh, hey, yeah, we ordered a bunch of missiles, but uh, <laughs> there was there was a mistake, a uh, mix up with the order, so they never arrived." It is funny because they wanted to set the stakes that they're defenseless. But it was just such a funny thing like this is just a, some bureaucrat. I guess he's a governor, but he's just like, yeah, sorry, our bad. We just don't have it. And they're well, like, he's just oh. like, we, we ordered them, but Amazon lost it. So we don't have it. <laughs> and they're just like, well, that makes sense. I think someone even comments. He's like, that's Earth for you. Can't defend one of their colonies. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> but yeah, now it's up to this little Corvette to battle the big old ship all by itself. And they're all out of ideas. So it's just like a mono on mono battle. They're getting their ass kicked. They, they like attempt a kamikaze run at some point, but just like deflect off the ship. Like they crash into it, but no one explodes. Yeah, they didn't do a very effective attack. And as they're about to get finally blown up by the final missile that these since the sensorians have to destroy them, a bunch of Earth Star carriers arrive just in the nick of time, save them all. And uh, of course they showed up because they were suspicious that this uh, little Corvette never came back from looking to the missing uh, mail ship, I guess. So they show up right in the nick of time to save the planet. So our heroes didn't even really save the day. Someone else did. (laughs) But yes, basically they've saved the day. The commander of the Trafalgar invites them on board the ship and says, great job. You guys are amazing. You did everything perfectly. You saved the day. Except, of course, uh, for that court-martial and suicide of that guy. He's, he, he calls out that specifically. He'd be like, that, that wasn't great. Uh, but otherwise, you did a perfect job. Do you think the guy's still hanging there? Oh, uh, definitely. They never took him down. But what I do like is this Trafalgar commander. He's, he's congratulating them all. And that Ensign Vallis, the guy who loves pleasure wear, he stops the proceedings and is like, hey, since we're heroes now, why don't you graduate us early from Ensign, the, the Ensign program? And the commander's like, you know what? Okay. <laughs> See, that's what you gotta. Uh, the lesson here, Luke, is you gotta ask for what you want. You know. Well, all the other ensigns are like, you can't ask that, and the commander's like, I just happen to have these lieutenant's badges in my desk, so why not? And so they all get promoted, and then, then, then this is the scene where we get to meet this captain and the wife that the guy was being fantasizing about. But I didn't know. Like at first, they were like. Is this captain a jerk? Is the whole point that they're now stuck under this guy, but then he's not a jerk? I don't know why we watched any of this. But that's the thing. He comes on the ship, and they're basically like, we're replacing your captain with this guy, because you need a captain. Um, And he's very nice. He's just like, hey, Ort, I know it's hard to give up command, so why don't you pilot us home as captain so we can get the ship fixed? But that was just kind of like your reward Mm -hmm. for being such a good captain. And he brings an engineer with him. Because we haven't mentioned Yuki was hurt in the explosion and she's been placed into a medically induced coma. So the only Asian character on the show is now removed from the series. (laughs) Yeah. 
which is just like Earth Star Voyager. I do you know. remember that? I do. Anyway, this beside the point. So they brought this woman. She's not his wife. She's just someone else. No, I thought it was his wife. No, because she's like, he's like, I brought this engineer to temporarily fill in for her while she's in her coma. Oh. So that's why none of it makes any sense. <laughs> it is funny when you get seeds where they explain plot holes as if they were worried that the viewers would notice it. But it's like, but no, no one ever did worry about that. You also could have just had them be like, she's injured. Now she's fine. Why did we have to still have her in a coma? Yeah, it's cra- it's crazy to show her. Like they, they show her in a medically induced coma for her injuries from the battle at the end, and like that Valis guy who they briefly had a flirtatious moment with comes in. He's like, "Well, here's your lieutenant badge. I'm gonna make out with your unconscious body." Yep. <laughs> anyway, that's the whole show. Like it wraps up. They've got a new captain. They're flying the ship home. What crazy further adventures will this crew of newbies get into? <laughs> yeah, and uh, the answer is none. No more adventures. Well, did you have any final notes on the show? When I was watching the show, I, I came across another video, and it was someone discussing Gene Roddenberry and writing something on the original Star Trek series. And I know I crap on Roddenberry a lot because of his weird uh, proclivities and some of his later work, but it was an interesting thing where the writer was talking about pitching a script to Roddenberry, and what Roddenberry said back was, well, what is this about? And he said, you know, it stopped him realizing that's what Star Trek was. There was always a greater moral or a greater... A thought or a point that was going to be made and and you can feel that in some better sci-fi like what is this about what are they trying to say and no one asked that question for this show yeah it's just a clear like what is this about melrose place in space but not really it's not even that it's so bad it just doesn't really have a feeling at all it's so incredibly forgettable yeah i mean there's just nothing that like you get a lot of world building off the top and then you go into basically an extended action movie for the last hour of it but not a good action movie. No, it's just perfunctory. It's just like, here's a moment, here's a moment, here's a moment. And there's never really any stakes, so you're never worrying about anyone because you don't know anyone. It's it's such a strange little piece. Yeah. All right. Before we write, Jordan, what do you think an average episode of this show is going to be like? Well, I would assume that later episodes would be character-centric and we might actually learn something about them. Like, Yuki loves chocolate. So, uh-oh, they went to a chocolate planet. I don't know. It's just like... There's so little here that the show could be anything because they didn't set anything up. So, like, does this want to be a space comedy? Sure, let's let's have that. Does this want to be an action show? Sure, it could be. Does this want to be a procedural? Sure. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think it would just be a sexy time all the time. I think a captain dies every episode. <laughs> oh, well, that's better. That's much better. <laughs> but, yeah, I agree. I think, I think it could have gone any way. My guess is it probably ends up being a budget space above and beyond. Like, I bet it's military, sci-fi, but at a lower cost. Yeah, maybe. All right, Jordan. You want to rate this guy? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what I rate this thing. Like, again, it's so forgettable, and I guess that makes it bad, but it's not like you watched it and were like, I hate this thing. It's so nothing. (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, I think if I'm being generous, you could say this is a pretty average show, but I think at its heart, it's so empty that I'm going to give it a one. Yeah, I, I'm probably not far off. I wrote down, my note was, I don't know, two, three. So let's go right in the middle. Let's give it 2.5. 2.5. Yeah, it ultimately is not even, it's not even empty calories because ca- that implies there was something tasty to go along with it. <laughs> yeah. It's like literally someone just gave you a bag and it was full of air and you're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that these could be like uh, pull quotes underneath the title. It's kind of like a bag of air that you don't really need. Yeah. 
What a weird, weird failed attempt at something. So mm-hmm. much effort went into it, too. You can see how much time and effort went in to making something, but just like there was nothing there to begin with to build around. So. I mean, that's the sad thing about these. You could have really talented technicians and really talented art people, and people could work really long hours and really hard to have to make something that I'm sure they probably know is going to be a piece of crap, but you still need to get that same effort. And unfortunately, that's what shows up on the screen. Yeah, it's like everyone was hoping that if it could just get past the pilot, maybe they could figure out what it was. Yeah, and uh, it's lost to the sands of time. Well, that wraps it up for Space Command. If you have anything you need to email us about Space Command, I don't know why, uh, you can email <laughs> us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. There's uh, no one going to email us about this. There's no way. <laughs> and, of course, we're going to have some clips from it on Instagram and Twitter, at continuumdrag's the handle for that. There'll be some good clips, though, I think. Yeah, of, like, horrible attacks in buried LA. Oh, definitely not that. It's actually even... (laughs) That attack is even boringly shot on its own. Other than the grimness of the concept of it, it's a boring actual execution. I agree, yeah. Um, And yeah, that's it. That wraps it up. So, listener, thank you for joining us this week. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. I'll see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.